Uh, well, this morning we come to the uh, Lord's Supper, and it is uh, normally my practice uh, to bring you a, a devotional uh, related to the Lord's uh, Supper prior to observing it, and I would like to uh, continue uh, in our study of the uh, book of Hebrews where we are currently uh, looking at chapter 11, which is that great uh, hall of fame uh, of faith. And today we're going to look at, uh, very briefly, uh, four events in the life of Israel that uh, teach us the same truth about faith. And that truth is captured in the title of uh, our devotional, of our message today. The essence of faith is responding to God's word in trusting obedience. That is the very essence of true biblical faith responding to God's word in trusting obedience. Faith trusts and obeys the word of God because faith rests in the character of God who cannot lie, who cannot make a mistake, and who can never be defeated. Now the first event is the establishment of the uh, Passover. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, verse 28 reads, By faith he, referring to Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. Now you're all aware of the fact, and we, matter of fact, the uh, last couple of weeks we've been looking at, uh, at Moses in Hebrews 11. Uh, God raised this wonderful man up to deliver his people uh, out of slavery in Egypt and then to bring them into the promised Land, that land that God had uh, promised them 400 years earlier uh, through Abraham. But Pharaoh uh, was unwilling to let God's people go. So God brought ten plagues against the Egyptians to force uh, Pharaoh's hand. And you remember the tenth and final plague was what? That's right, the death of the firstborn. That the death angel would come in to Egypt and that uh, the firstborn would be put to death uh, as uh, an expression of God's judgment against their sin and rebellion and refusal to submit uh, to him. Uh, but to protect the Israelites from judgment, uh, God gave detailed instructions to institute what was called the Passover. And on the uh, tenth day of the first month, uh, the Hebrew households were to select an unblemished one-year-old male lamb. And then on the 14th day of that same month, they were to kill that lamb at the twilight hour. And then they were to sprinkle the blood of that lamb above and on the side of the doorpost of their homes. And then that evening, the lamb was to be roasted and completely eaten, nothing left. And God promised that as the death, death angel would come into Egypt, wherever he saw the blood on the doorpost of their homes, uh, the death angel would what? Pass over. And the firstborn would be spared from judgment, would be saved. Uh, God also commanded the Hebrews to eat the meal hastily. He told them to have their loins girded, their sandals on, their staff in their hands. In other words, ready to exit Egypt. This would be 
the final plague that would break Pharaoh's uh, back, um, causing him to let them go. And of course, you know what happened. All the Egyptian firstborn uh, suffered God's judgment. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us there was not a single household in Egypt that was spared, that there was a great sorrow and grieving throughout the country. While all the Israelite firstborn were saved, and that very night, as God uh, predicted, Pharaoh let them go as they began their uh, exit out of Egypt. Now, here is the lesson to be learned. I just want to look at each of these events and just look at one very simple but powerful lesson. Faith, here's the lesson, faith is personally applying God's provision for salvation even though it seems contrary to human reasoning. Faith is personally applying God's provision for salvation even though it may seem contrary to human reasoning. Now, now first, think how strange and unusual God's instructions were concerning the Passover. They had never seen anything like this uh, before. Here's Moses, a brilliant man, as well an educated man, as lived on the planet at that time, And you have him killing a small innocent lamb and then smearing the blood on the doorpost of his house. But though it defied human reasoning, and they didn't fully understand it all, uh, there was no questioning. There was no hesitation on the part of Moses or the people. Matter of fact, we're told in Exodus 12, verses 27 and 28, that after receiving God's instructions concerning the Passover, it says, the people bowed low and worshipped. They worshipped God. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded. See, true faith always responds to God's word in trusting obedience. But the main truth I want you to see in this first event is that the blood had to be personally applied. And the lamb had to be eaten. It was not just enough to know the plan. It was not just enough to give intellectual assent to the plan. The firstborn were were saved from God's judgment because in faith they sprinkled the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorpost and received into themselves the lamb, became one with the lamb through eating the Passover meal, confident it was God's provision for salvation. Now, in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, we read, For Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. For Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. But just like the first Passover, Christ's sacrifice must be personally applied to be effective. Only then will God's judgment pass over you for you to experience God's salvation and deliverance. You must personally apply God's blood to your life with the faith that it is God's provision for your salvation, adequate to pay the penalty of your sin, reconcile you to God, and secure for you an eternal salvation. And you must receive Jesus Christ, the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world, into your life. You must receive him for who he is, Savior and Lord, to become one with him, to follow and obey him. This is the essence of true biblical faith. 
Is Jesus Christ your Passover lamb? Have you personally applied His salvation to make it effective in your life? If not, I plead with you today, apply His blood to your life and receive the Lamb of God today. Look at the second event. It's the deliverance of Israel at the Red Sea. Uh, Look at Hebrews 11, verse 29. It says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Of course, you know, after their exodus from Egypt, uh, Pharaoh had second thoughts, and he came after them. And it's it's interesting to note, and I don't know if you've ever uh, really observed this before, but that it was actually God who created this crisis of faith in the life of Israel. God ordered them. He ordered them, commanded them to camp with the Red Sea directly in front of them. On their left was a mountain range. On their right was a desert. And behind them, the mighty Egyptian army. God literally led his people into a geographic cul-de-sac the most vulnerable spot they could be militarily. Now, why would God do this? Well, the same reason he often leads us or allows us to experience crisis today, to build up our faith, to teach us to stop relying on ourselves and to start relying on him. And how did the children of Israel respond? Well, the same way we typically do today. They panicked. They panicked, realizing there was no way of escape. At first, they cried out to God. But when you read the account, it was more out of fear than faith. Soon, they were literally like a spoiled child throwing a temper tantrum, having a pity party, and blaming all their woes on Egypt, wishing they had never left Egypt. Moses then told the people, don't fear. Don't fear, and you are to stand by, and you are to see the salvation of the Lord. And then in Exodus 14, 15, we read, and I love this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And you know the rest of the story. Despite their fear... The people put their faith in God, and Hebrews 11 gives them that credit. They obeyed God's command to go forward. As they went forward, what God parted the waters, and they walked through on dry land with a wall of water to their left and a wall of water to their right. When the Egyptian armies tried to follow what God brought the water down upon them, and the entire army was destroyed, was lost. Now, here's the lesson for us today. Faith is obeying God's command even even though all looks hopeless. Faith is obeying God's command even though all looks hopeless. And again, we keep coming back to the fact that the very essence of faith is trusting obedience. If I've truly trusted, I will obey. And I obey because I trust. It's two sides of the same coin. You cannot separate trust and obedience. So are you hemmed in right now on all sides by some great adversity? If you are, 
there's only one place to look. And you know where that is? Up. And there's really only one thing to do. Step out and go forward. Believe in God and just take the next step. Just the next step. And then take the next step and the next step. Well, you say, when will God open up the Red Sea and make a way uh, through the trial? Well, when you learn the lessons of faith and character that he's attempting to teach you through the adversity. So faith is obeying God's command, even though all looks hopeless. Look at the third event, which is the victory God gave his people over the military fortress of Jericho. Hebrews 11.30 reads, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. I believe most of you are very familiar with this story. Uh, This, of course, uh, is... uh, 40-plus years after the exodus, after the wanderings in the wilderness as a result of the unbelief of the people. So God, uh, through the leadership of Joshua, brought in the uh, younger generation, the new generation. And uh, they're in the uh, promised land for the first time. They've crossed the Jordan River. And staring right in their face was the most formidable military fortress in all of Canaan. Uh, It was the key uh, to conquest uh, of the land. And in biblical days, it was considered uh, an invincible uh, military fortress. Uh, Matter of fact, in Joshua chapter 5, you have Joshua as a commander of the people, leader of the people. He gets off by himself on top of apparently one of the hills that overlooked this military fortress of Jericho, which was situated in the middle of a huge valley. And apparently what Joshua was doing was trying to... uh, Uh, get a good look at the enemy, uh, a good look at the city to evaluate it, trying to figure out how am I going to deploy my sources, uh, uh, my my men, uh, how am I possibly going to get the victory down there in that valley. And folks, he must have really been scratching his head because as he looked at that, he realized this is just an absolute human impossibility. Just like we often face situations and circumstances that we view from our perspective a human impossibility. And then right, right in the midst of that, as, he, as he's struggling, all of a sudden he notices that he's not alone. And the Bible says he looks to his side and he sees a man. He actually sees a soldier with his sword drawn. Now, he does not realize who this is initially. He does not realize this is actually the pre-incarnate Christ, visibly manifesting himself to Joshua. All Joshua sees is a soldier with his sword drawn, and Joshua is in enemy territory. So he does the logical thing any warrior would do in enemy territory. Joshua goes for his sword, and he asks the question, well, are you for us, or are you against us? The thought being, if you're for us, well, let's unite our hearts, let's join our swords, and let's figure out how we're going to get the victory down in that valley. But if you're against me, if you're the enemy, one of us is going to drop on this spot. And then came the, re- the reply that he just literally was not ready for. His question was, are you for us or you're against us? The reply was, neither. But as captain of the Lord's host, I am has come not to take sides, but to take over. The moment he heard those words, he knew he was in the presence of Almighty God himself. 
And he did the only thing you can do in the presence of God. He hit the ground. He put his face into the ground. And as he was going to the ground, he said the only thing you can say in the presence of God. He said, what saith my Lord to his servant? And then Jesus answered, take off your shoes, boy, because you are on holy ground. And the fifth chapter ends by saying, and Joshua did so. And it's very unfortunate that there's a chapter break because it's in that encounter that Joshua is giving the battle plan for Jericho, which made absolutely no sense from a human perspective, and especially for a military warrior and commander like Joshua. They would just circle the city, you know, six days, and then on the seventh day, circle the city, toot their little horns and shout, and God would bring the walls down. Folks, it just didn't make any sense. But what did Joshua do? He obeyed. And the people obeyed. He maintained that attitude. What saith my Lord to my servant? That's the only issue in this situation. Is for me to obey you. I may not have the ability to overcome Jericho. But you have that ability. You've never lost a battle yet. And so I can't go wrong by surrendering to you. Now look at the lesson. Faith is surrendering to God's plan, seeing my impossibility as God's opportunity to display His glory. Faith is surrendering to God's plan, seeing that what I view as an impossibility is actually God's opportunity to display His glory. And folks, reality is that you and I will be continually confronted with opportunities that God brilliantly disguises as impossible situations so that He can get the glory. So that when all is done, when everything is finished, there'll be no other explanation than God did it. I mean, when those walls came tumbling down and God gave them the victory without them fighting, they couldn't take the credit for that. All the credit, all the glory went to God. Went to his grace, went to his power, went to his might. Look at the fourth event, which relates to one of the residents of Jericho, uh, Rahab uh, the harlot. And this is a wonderful transition to be able to make into the Lord's Supper. Hebrews 11.31 reads, By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient, after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Uh, you remember that uh, Joshua sent spies to uh, uh, spy out Jericho, and uh, Rahab sheltered them, uh, hid them, and it was in that counter that she expressed faith in God. She had heard about God's great power that he demonstrated at the Red Sea, how he had given Israel victory over their enemies. I'm sure she listened to the witness of the spies, and uh, this woman put her faith in God before she knew what the outcome of the battle would be. She put her faith because she knew what the outcome would be, that God would win, because God was true, because God was holy, and they were sinful. Uh, now, Rahab was a prostitute. Not only was she a prostitute, she was a Gentile and a Canaanite at that. Matter of fact, she was an Amorite which was a race that God had marked for destruction many years earlier, all the way back in the book of Genesis. 
definitely a most like, unlikely candidate to be placed here in the Hall of Fame of Faith. But not only is she here in the Hall of Fame of Faith, you know where else she is found? In the genealogy of Christ. Because as she embraces God, puts her faith in the true and living God, she marries one of the princes of Israel, and it's through that line that Christ was born. Now here's the truth. Here's the lesson. Faith is trusting God's mercy even though you can't imagine why he would love you. Faith is trusting God's mercy even though you can't imagine why he would love you. And so as we come to the Lord's Supper today, we glory in what? God's love. We glory in God's love that is unconditional. His love that was demonstrated on Calvary's cross. When Jesus spilt his blood there to pay for the penalty of our sin, to save us from our sins, and then rose again as Lord of all. And so we come now to our Passover. We come to celebrate the Passover lamb. That Passover lamb whose blood was shed. That Passover lamb that we receive to become one with, to follow and obey. And so I pray as we partake of the Lord's Supper today that we will rejoice in His grace, we'll rejoice in that love that has called us from which there is no escape. Let me ask the uh, elders and deacons to uh, go ahead and uh, take their places. And we'll begin in just a moment. But men, wait for my signal before you begin to let the people come. Um, I think you're all familiar with uh, the Apostle Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 11. That uh, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, it says he took the bread... And after he had given thanks, it says he, he broke it, saying, This is my body uh, given, what? For you. And then we're told after the supper that he took the cup, and he said, This is the cup that represents my blood that was shed for you, my blood that entered a covenant for you, a blood that secured your pardon, a blood that secured for you a new heart, a blood that secured for you my presence. So bow with me in prayer as we thank God for his wonderful grace through Jesus Christ. Father, as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, as we come to our Passover, um, as we come to Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament Passover, uh, we thank you. We thank you for his death on Calvary's cross on our behalf. Thank you that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, who was that unblemished lamb, that although he knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf as our sins were laid on him, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So, Father, that is just beyond our comprehension how such love would not only pay the penalty for our sin, but then actually deposit to our account all the righteousness of Jesus Christ to give us a right standing before you this morning. And Father, I pray 
that for everyone that has truly, personally applied that salvation to make it effective in their lives, that you will just set our hearts free to love you right now, to worship you, to honor you. That we will take this opportunity to search our lives. Lord, would you right now point out anything in any one of us that would stand between us and you as your people? Anything that would have pained you? Anything that would have grieved you? Anything that would have displeased you, offended you? And then, Lord, let us see the power in the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have the opportunity now, as we are transparent before you, to confess our sins and to know the blood of Christ, even now cleansing us from our sin, that we might know intimacy with you, that we might know a beautiful fellowship with you. And then, Father, if there are those here who have never personally applied the salvation you've provided, if there are those that have just simply given intellectual assent but never have responded in trusting obedience by believing in that blood, by receiving the Lamb of God, becoming one with Him to follow and obey Him, Lord, bring them to salvation this very day. So again, Lord, thank You for Your body given for us Thank you for your blood shed and sprinkled for us to secure us mercy, to secure us the freedom, the boldness to come right into your presence to know fellowship with you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.